This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 31st of October 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my ever-present co-host, Jon. Hi, Dave. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. And yourself? Well, it's Friday in my part of the world. I hope it's Friday in your part of the world, too, so everything is great, isn't it? It is. It is, and it is Friday, and everything is always better on Fridays. <laughs> well, everything except the long-term outlook. No, even the long-term outlook is good on Fridays. Everything's good on Fridays. Repeat after me. <laughs> okay, this is the feel-good part of our episode today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're driving exactly. in the car, just repeat after Dave. Everything is good today. Everything is good today. Ah, so... <sighs> Yeah, we're back with a news episode. We skipped the news episode deep. last time because we had a two-parter on the uh, Sydney DataWorks Summit. Yep. But uh, we're back into the old regular track, and we're back with a episode fif- uh, 59, Roaring News. So I think you want to talk to us about some feel-good music. Yes, I go first. It is my privilege today. And I found a nice article online uh, talking about Spotify. Who often have very, very good articles either them themselves writing or um, people writing about them there's something about the way that they do things that seems to be more open than a lot of other organizations yeah well they've been a data-driven organization for a long time they're Mm. they're a name that's known they're successful in what they do and as you said they're reasonably open about what they do as well and that was very important for this article because this article wasn't written by anybody from Spotify themselves. This is just somebody who says uh, herself that she's a, a fan of Spotify and uh, instead of working there, she just tries to feel like she's working there by doing a lot of research on the company. <laughs> yeah, It's a hobby. And she actually did some uh, searching on how the uh, Discover Weekly playlists work on the Spotify app. Now, this Discover Weekly is a kind of recommendation engine thing, and uh, recommendation engines are well known in the big data world. It's one of the standard big data applications, if I if I may say so. But the fun thing that she discovered about uh, Spotify here is that Spotify is doing an ensemble approach. Because there's different ways of making recommendation lists. The most well-known one, it's also the first one she talks about in the article, is the standard uh, collaborative recommendation thing. Just see if you can match people in the same kind of profile so that you can say that if this person likes A, then if you're in the same profile, class, section, classification, you'll probably like A as well. So let's recommend that to you if you haven't listened to this one yet. It's the that's the same kind of thing you see in your, you know, your shopping cart. People that bought this also bought this. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, Netflix actually made it popular with the five star ratings, and that's mm-hmm. also why people or why organizations want you to do a thumbs up, thumbs down, rate this, rate that, so they can see what you like, match you with other people of the same, let's call it background, and that way do a collaborative uh, filtering approach for recommendation engines, and that works pretty well. The only uh, back, uh, the only problem with that is that, well, it's an opt-in thing. If mm-hmm. you're not successful enough or you don't do something, I mean, if the tax office would ask you to rate their service, 
<laughs> it's a kind of an opt-in thing. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Now for something like Spotify, I'm pretty sure it works pretty well because people like their music and it's yeah, yeah. people are passionate okay. about it. Yeah. So like, it, it it doesn't work though. It it only works if people listen to the music though, doesn't it? So um, like if if there's something yeah. new or something exactly. undiscovered. Then. You're running too fast. You're running too fast there. Oh, okay. That's definitely one of the fall of the of the drawbacks. And uh, method three that they're using is answering that one. But you're going too oh, fast okay. there. Okay. <laughs> so the second one they're looking at is the uh, natural language processing. Mm-hmm. And just like the first one, it's based on social media because it thumbs up, thumbs down, five star ratings. That's a social media kind of thing. But that's an opt-in social media kind of thing. The other part they're doing is just go on the internet, search for songs, for lyrics, for titles, uh, artists, and see what gets written about them. If people like this artist and what kind of phrases are associated with that artist. If a certain song is always described as uh, hip-hop or, 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 or sparky or, or fun or depressing or whatever, that's another way of classifying these songs and again mm-hmm. a way of grouping them into classifications so you can recommend them to people that like that kind of music. Yeah, okay. The good thing about this is it's not an opt-in. They're yeah. just scraping the internet for yeah. any kind of information they can find to add to that. And these two together, the opt-in social media and the opt-out social media, well, it's not an opt-out, but uh, not opt-in social media, <laughs> together give them a much broader base. And I, I really like, that's why I like this article. It gives these three, and the third one's coming in a second, these three uh, methods of how you can do this to really make your system better. The days when you had one model to do whatever you wanted to do to to get the value you're looking for are behind us. Today, mm. because the democratization of AI, the, the, the how easy between air quotes it is to have a neural network up and running, you don't have to stop with one anymore. It's not that big an investment to go from one to two or three or four or um, as many as you can actually use to add value to your to your use case. And this is just a very nice way to have two social media things come together. But it still doesn't solve the issue that you uh, highlighted there. Very smart boy, my partner. This <laughs> very <has> occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, but you're right that these, both of these don't capture new songs. If something has just been released, well, nobody has liked it yet. It's just out. And also, nobody has written about it yet because it's, yeah, it's just out. It hasn't any, any coverage yet. So the third part they're doing is what I'm calling the, the the low-level tech approach, which is based on image recognition, actually. And they're using a neural network, apparently, to look at the raw audio stream, which also allows you to get some information from the song. But in this case, it's not, uh, I don't know, subjective things like good, bad, uh, happy, sad, whatever, but things like how many beats per minute, uh, how loud, how, how monotone, how, that, how, what's the shape of the waveform if you just look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you can actually look at new uh, songs because, yeah, that information is available. It's on their uh, download uh, server, so they have that information. And that, again, gives them a way of matching this song with other songs of a similar nature and give it uh, in the recommendation engine uh, and by doing all three at the same time, so giving you the 
three approaches for recommendations and then taking the, the songs that come up in all three of them and just giving those to the people, apparently they are having such a good uh, success rate with, uh, with it that uh, people are uh, questioning uh, the, how safe this is because they have a couple of uh, Twitter uh, cut and paste uh, in there about uh, the first one is from uh, Dave Horwitz who says it's scary how well Spotify discover weekly playlists know me like a former lover who lived through a near-death experience with me well <laughs> <laughs> and the second one uh, from Amanda Whitbread at this point uh, discover weekly knows me so well that if uh, if it proposed I'd say yes <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's very pretty much picked out to be uh, exemplary, of course. But still, yeah, it does yeah. show that recommendation engines, yeah, it's old hat. Everybody's doing it, and it's easy enough to figure out how to do it. But still, there are ways of improving the results, and trying to go for that doesn't have to break the bank anymore. Nice, nice. It's definitely that the the blending of all of those different approaches giving a, a more complete, fuller picture that, that sort of made the difference there. Yeah, and it's something I see more and more in my daily life as well because uh, uh, some customers are doing image recognitions and if you're doing image recognitions for something you trained your model for, like I want to find all the cats in the pictures, that's reasonably fe- feasible. That's well, that's that's done. That's, that works. But if you have more of a problem where I want to discover everything in this picture, give me all the meta tags you can find in this picture, I've seen that people that do a a neural network first to do a first classification and then feed the results Mm -hmm. of that into a machine learning classification uh, algorithm actually get better results again. They're doing a multi-step approach. Yeah. So it's a nice article. It's nicely written. It's uh, a bit uh, promotional for Spotify, but again, no, they're nice guys, so that's not a bad thing. And it doesn't go too many, too much detail. It's, this isn't a how-to or a program a developer uh, yeah. do yeah. this, then that. It's more of a, hey, these are ways of doing it. And if you want to go for this, it gives you enough hints uh, to allow you to go search for the, the real raw, how do I do this, uh, art- articles out there. Very nice. So, yeah, very happy with that. Okay. Over to you. So from from music to messages, um, back in it was early September, um, Yahoo announced that they were open sourcing something called Pulsar, um, which was their sort of you know, they describe it as their published distributed publish and subscribe messaging system designed to be highly scalable while main, maintaining low levels of latency. We have that already. And, That's Kafka. <laughs> Exactly, and anybody that uh, that knows uh, the names of some of the animals in the zoo might recognize that and think, hey, isn't that Kafka? So uh, what's happened is essentially this is, as far as Yahoo are concerned, this is, um, well, maybe as far as Yahoo are concerned, I don't want to speak for them, but some people are saying this is essentially next-generation Kafka. Um, there are some. There are definitely some some broad similarities behind it. You know the the whole publish and subscribe messaging system. Um, depending on you know who you listen to, um, some people would say that Kafka has grown beyond just being a a, a pub sub messaging system and is now a complete streaming platform. You know if you see the the various other things with Kafka Connect and Kafka Streams and you know well, all that sort of is really pulling that wagon right. Well, I don't know. I think, I mean, Kafka themselves are, yeah, yeah, definitely. But I mean, there's Kafka streams as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's sort of, so depending on your, your perspective and your point of view, you could say that Pulsar is a subset of now 
what Kafka provides. But broadly, it would seem that um, the some of the core concepts are quite similar. The storage layers appear to be um, subtly different. Different in, uh, admittedly, through my my brief skim, I don't I don't understand enough depth about. Uh, what those differences mean, but you know some of the elements seem to be um, that they're sort of making sure it's far easier to to scale, uh, making sure it's far easier to scale while um, data is still flowing through it, um, and making sure that you can increase capacity, you know, pretty much seamlessly without any significant user impact. Um, it, it's it's kind of interesting because the, I mean, this is obviously it's used by Yahoo. You can see, I mean, they've been using it in production at scale for over three years now. And, you know, there are all sorts of amazing statistics, you know, zero data loss, uh, many millions of messages per second and all these kind of uh, fabulous things. But, and we will include a few links. Um, the link that actually brought me into this whole story was actually the, the second uh, blog post, which was around um, doing geo-replication um, and various patterns and practices and uh, you know asynchronous geo-replication uh, and full mesh geo-replication. Mm. Um, and you know, that, that's the article that kind of dragged me into it, into it. And it's quite interesting, you know, full, uh, full mesh geo-replication across three clusters um, and, and how you could achieve that using Pulsar. But while this is all all very interesting, and I think if you're looking at you know standing up something new and at significant scale, maybe Pulsar is a is a piece of tech worth looking at. Um, my my thoughts on this were were more along the lines of this is definitely cool tech, um, but are we seeing sort of are we seeing a more of a rift appear in in the big data ecosystem? Um, you know. I, I see this and the way that it's talked about, you know, by people within the project. Um, to me, this seem, seems like a bit of a WMD, a weapon of mass data. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, this seems to be operating at the at the sort of scale, or it seems to be very useful at the sort of scale that only a a fraction of organisations may may ever actually need or achieve. Um, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that, that's um, just my perception, or whether you know eventually this will this will trickle down and you know everybody will be using Pulsar and people will have you know forgotten what Kafka was ever used for. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of it, it's it seems to me at the moment to be uh, something that's so far beyond what the majority of organisations sort of need. That uh, I don't know whether you know it, it'll get some rarefied adoption, but it'll never make mainstream. Or it, you know, will it eventually trickle down and and replace its uh, its its grandfather legacy? I don't know. What do you think, Jon? Yeah, I've been looking through the pages while we were rambling on. <clears throat> Sorry, doing <laughs> intelligent uh, commentating on the, the subject. And I see in the documentation they actually have adapters for Kafka, Spark Streaming, and Apache Storm. So they're mm -hmm. not looking at replacing or rather embracing nope. and maybe supplanting, but they're doing it the right way. And about uh, weapons of mass data, just be careful who, who hears this before you know it. They will <laughs> declare war on you. Um, I kind of agree that nobody, no, not everybody will use this probably because it's too 
unwieldy. Mm. Now, that being said, I don't think this is very new anymore, or else they had a very big rise in Apache because they're not incubating anymore because they have a .apache.org URL. Uh, so I I believe they are still incubating. They're, they're, they're incubating Apache.org domain space. Yeah, there. but the all of their stuff still says Apache Incubator oh. apart from their URL. So... I don't know. Oh, let's double check. Let's go to Apache Incubator. So if you if you look at their GitHub, it's still Incubator. Ah, incubator okay. Pulsar. Okay, fair enough then. Because I was puzzled by it because I hadn't heard about Pulsar yet, and usually I am somewhat aware of it, what's I mean, happening given, in this space. Yeah, <laughs> given given that it only went into uh, it was only open sourced back in oh, so it was it was a, basically a year ago. So September yeah, September 2016. So I would expect it would take a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just went to incubator.apache.org, and it's in the uh, Podlings uh, listing. Yeah, there you go. So that's fair. Okay, so as I was saying, uh, it's pretty. I think it's pretty uh, annoying to uh, implement it at the moment because something that's still incubating usually doesn't have all of the nice GUIs that uh, us third, uh, first world we want to have things easy people want yeah that integrated into managed platforms all that sort of stuff and also if you want to go into big big enterprises you need to have a level of auditing and logging and integration with whatever so I don't think they're there yet and for me that's always the barrier I think that's the barrier when it becomes uh, when it stays a WMA sorry WMD (laughs) (laughs) or uh, or becomes a commercial application let's say that's just the ease of how I can deploy this if I have to spend uh, six months and need ten people to make it run that means you will be very niche the moment does it does it kerberize is the other big question (laughs) Uh, well not even kerberize does it secure and if it does kerberos or something else I don't want to know that yeah, that yeah. being said, the things like uh, your application are very hot at the moment. It's something yeah. my customers talk about a lot. The world is yep. still getting smaller. Having yep. data both in Europe and America still uh, gets more and more important in all kinds of uh, industries. And it's it's not just it's not just geo replication. It's replication even within geos. You know, you're. I mean, I'm sure you're definitely seeing it, and I'm certainly seeing it. Where organizations, you know, they've got some they've got some stuff on prem. They've got some stuff in you know multiple cloud providers and mm-hmm. even just within a particular geo replicating between that is is definitely something that uh, people really are caring more and more about yeah definitely i mean one of the things i like about the place i work is that we have this hybrid cloud uh, thing well uh, front and center mm. so yeah definitely this and this is solving your ingest part or any kind of in-between queuing part let's say mm-hmm. where you have a, a matrix instead of just a sequential pass on to the next guideline yeah but yeah, I haven't looked enough as I said it's new for me as well I haven't seen it in uh, any kind of application yet but uh, yeah. it looks very interesting now do we know why Yahoo has made this why were they not happy with what they had so I think it's the it that's the kind of things that um, we were talking about. You know, they they wanted um, to deliver far lower latencies. They wanted to make some fairly fundamental changes um, to the way the storage layer worked. So committing to multiple disks or nodes get get sort of many nines of guaranteed durability. 
um, and you know be, at, at a scale beyond the the levels that they felt comfortable that they could scale Kafka to. Um, there guess, are a, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say there are a, there are a few you know some of the links that we'll we'll post up. And there's there's one which is a a Y Combinator thread, which is sort of which has some interesting exchange where a, a Kafka dev actually um, sort of starts to talk about well you know these are these are some of the things that uh, we can do with Kafka, and I mean the other thing is that obviously this was. This was released, or this was released into the open source world a year ago. It was probably running for two years, you know, behind closed doors. Before that, you know, both Kafka and now um, Pulsar have, you know, continued their development. Kind of interesting to see. I'm less interested about why they why they separated or why they started it way back then, I'm kind of interested in, you know, Kafka's moved forward, Pulsar, I'm sure, has moved forward as well. Um, you know, what are some of the deltas and differences now? Are they still the same? Yeah. Um, is, is, there, is there maybe less of a reason for, for Pulsar, but they're committed? I don't know. I'd be very, very interested if there's someone listening out there. In fact, we may we may just go and reach out ourselves. If there's somewhere on the, uh, the Pulsar Apache project that would like to come and talk to us, you know, love to have a session. Yeah. Also, if I look at this, it, it, it really does only the, the push-pull queuing system, right? It, it mm. doesn't have, as far as I can tell, it doesn't really focus on uh, doing mini ETL, if, if, that, nope. if that's a term. It's really just lean-mean message bus uh, kind of thing. Lean-mean message machine. Yeah. And uh, actually, I must admit, I've gotten a bit scared of Kafka because mm. they're trying to put so much on there. And I know it started small. It started as doing just a message uh, transfer system and then had a little bit of ETL in there. So you could just kind of tweak your messages a little bit. So they were more and more of the same nature, let's say. But that the late last, uh, the last year or something, they've made this whole streaming ecosystem where it becomes harder to give Kafka a name in, in what it's supposed to be doing. It's not just a message queue anymore. And if I just want to use it as a message queue, I get all this other stuff in there as well, which is never good for latency, uh, I, would, uh, I would expect. This one, Pulsar, really does one thing, or at least that's what the impression I'm getting is it's doing one mm. thing very well. So that might be a reason why they shifted that way. Because I was, I'm also thinking, I mean, we're, we're self-proclaimed NiFi fanboys, so we can't talk about message passing without talking about NiFi. Of course. Let's just, that's, that's just it. <laughs> Don't blame us, it's just how we are. Comparing Kafka with NiFi is, uh, is easy, that's, they're similar. Similar, yeah, similar, but they're, they're looking at different ways different, of doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but, different but, ends of the spectrum, you could say. Yeah. But they, they both do the message passing and more. Yeah. If you would compare NiFi with what we know of Pulsar today, how would you compare them? <laughs> so, so again, I, I would say that some of the fundamental differences between uh, NiFi and Pulsar are the same as the ones between uh, NiFi and Kafka. You know, if you want a pure pub-sub, you know, messaging platform, then... It, it doesn't uh, that uh, that wants to operate at very significant scale. 
then I would say that you know your your option is something like Kafka or Pulsar. You know, NiFi isn't really designed for that pub sub use case approach. I mean, can you hack a bunch of flows together to pretend? Yeah, of course you can, but it's not. Yeah. That's not what it's really designed for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, last thing for me, I'm on a page on their uh, blog there where they're showing geosynchronous, uh, geo-replication synchronous and asynchronous. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been typing, maybe people heard that, and sorry if that's the case, but I was trying to look if there are any benchmarks out there because any kind of synchronous geo-replication always has uh, implied latencies because it's a acknowledged system. You can only make sure mm-hmm. it's written everywhere when the slowest one is written. That's always an issue, and they have a little picture here with US West, US Central, US East. Which is uh, can be pretty far apart. <laughs> yep, and that's one of the things that uh, in any kind of geo-replication thing I'm looking at, if it's uh, event hubs or MySQL or whatever, the moment you go synchronous, yeah, any kind of performance goes down the toilet. Mm. I'm very curious to find to, to see any kind of uh, hard data on uh, what they're achieving. Yeah. If they get good good speeds out of that, that would be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe we need to yep. have a session on Pulsar. Yes. So you heard it here first, people. Dave is going to get in touch with the people from Pulsar and get them on the show. There we go. This is me just called trying to out. Called Dave out. Giving me extra work. <laughs> <laughs> called out. All right. So talk to us about things being hard to find. Uh, things being what to find? Hard to find. Hard to find. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just going to find my little article yeah my second article i think uh, yeah my last article for today is from the data nami uh, website it's a somewhat older one from the end of september 29th but we didn't have a new section two weeks ago so that's why it's still my backlog it's uh, entitled hadoop was hard to find at strata this week and since this has strata this week in the title that's why i wanted to qualify the fact that yes it's a bit older the article, however, is not talking about Strata as a event or whatever that is. Just that by coincidence, I would almost say uh, the person that was at Strata didn't see any mentions of Hadoop anymore. And so there was some talk about Hadoop is dead. And somebody said Spark killed Hadoop. And yeah, this Hadoop is dead thing is something that you hear a lot and you can call it FUD if you want to. But on the other hand, is it true or is it false? Dave, what do you think? I think it depends entirely on how you define Hadoop. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like if you yeah. define Hadoop as um, as something that does MapReduce, then I think we can all agree MapReduce uh, as a um, as a, an exact method of processing data has been dead for a long time. Well, that but that depends it, again because if you look at Spark. It, Exactly. It does the MapReduce approach, exactly. however. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look, if you talk about the MapReduce Java library, yeah, if you're still using that behind your hive, uh, time to go to Tez. <laughs> yeah. Tez and LLAP or Big SQL or <laughs> Yeah, or anything else on MapReduce in that case. Yeah. And it's also something that uh, I've been talking about in earlier episodes about my idea about the Hadoop ecosystem fragmenting. Hadoop no longer being this strictly defined 
this piece plus that piece plus that piece, that is a Hadoop. People don't look at it that way anymore. And that's also what's coming uh, to the front in this article. It's a pretty long article, actually. So if you haven't read it yet, I would uh, assume, uh, I would suggest you read it. But the thing is that people don't look for Hadoop as a, this will solve my problem product anymore. They look for, I want to do churn prediction. I want to do recommendation engines. And mm. if that runs on Hadoop or it uses Yarn or it uses HDFS or whatever, I don't care. Don't yeah, tell yeah, me yeah. You're, talking, you're selling me Hadoop. No, tell me you're selling me something that I can use to solve my problem. It's so very solution-driven. Yeah, call, so, uh, sell me a de-churner. New <laughs> 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 word made today. <laughs> so actually, it, it's a quite a nice article. It has some. It starts out as being a bit. Uh, what's the term for that? Uh, populist, let's say. About mm-hmm. this Hadoop is dead uh, cries, but it actually goes into a bit of detail. It talks to a lot of different people. We've got the CEO of H2O.ai. We got uh, just now from Cloudera talking. Uh, other people from Pepper Data, which I didn't know before. And there's a couple of things, a couple of quotes that I uh, underlined here. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a nice one, actually. The, the Pepper Data guy, he said that he sees Hadoop fading away in, uh, with Kubernetes taking over. And he says, like, we think Kubernetes is going to replace everything. So we've actually been working on getting ACFS working on Kubernetes. We're also working with Google, Red Hat, Planet, Palantir, and Bloomberg to put Spark on Kubernetes. Yeah, but that's just saying you're going to put a different kind of orchestrator below Hadoop. Yeah. You just, you're putting a different kind of orchestrator and resource manager with HDFS. I mean, sorry. Yes. Uh, you're, you're, back in the you're still doing Hadoop. You're just yeah. doing things. You're Thanks. just rearranging the pieces and swapping some things yeah, out exactly. for other. And for me, that's that's still Hadoop. I think you're right. It's, it's about how you define it. It's all about how you define Hadoop. I define Hadoop as just by thinking about not just all of the animals in the zoo, but all of the different elements that make a big data ecosystem. And for, for me, and I think it's just because of the point where I discovered Hadoop, for me, I think Hadoop will always be synonymous with big data, mm-hmm. whether or not you're using HDFS or Spectrum Scale Storage or Isilon or mm-hmm. whether you're using Spark or Hive or Impala or Pulsar or Kafka or, you know, for me, you know, all of those things are they're sort of they're synonymous with Hadoop, but I think I can understand why some people think I, you know, I just need Spark. I I, I can do some data science stuff in Spark. I need to pull some data. I don't really care where I put where I pull that data from. You know, it could be ADLS, it could be S3, it could be HDFS. You know. Yeah, it's also they're calling S3 and ADLS a, a replacement for HDFS. Well, no, it isn't because you're talking the HDFS protocol. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, but again, it's it's a nice article. It goes both ways. It gives everybody a, 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 a moment to talk about it. Just seeing what else I uh, underlined here. Yeah, this Cloudera's uh, coming out with saying we don't talk about Hadoop anymore. We just talk about yeah what it does. Uh, uh, and yeah, I, I kind of agree with their uh, conclusion at the end. 
Uh, mm. Just the last paragraph which I'm going to read yeah. out here is, we don't see that Hadoop is dead. We don't see that at all. Now you come to the show and you don't see the electricity that you felt in the early days, but those are the pioneering days. It's 10 years old today. It's more mature. And you have other people coming to these conferences and talking in a different way. And that's exactly what we mean with, it's no longer about uh, the, the, the technology, about uh, the, the zoo. It's about what you can do with it. Indeed. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice article. When I first started reading that, I thought, okay, somebody wants to get some easy clicks by pronouncing it <laughs> bad. But actually, if you read through it, it, uh, it makes some nice, uh, some nice points. And it gives me still a lot of hope for the future, for the whole, maybe not the entire zoo on sich, but all of the components in there. Yeah, that's still going a long way. And it's in line with my predictions. So why would I disagree? Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So I would just like to do a, a very quick shout out to uh, a very hardworking and uh, great bunch of people that I met fairly recently. Um, I, I was uh, I had the honour of uh, presenting both a session. Uh, and a keynote section at the uh, data platform conference in Tokyo um, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, at least a few weeks ago as we record. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was originally sort of an um, a session or an event that was kicked off by by HortonWorks. But what was very interesting is that the the breadth of partners that got behind this and uh, you know we'll put a link to the site for those that are, that are curious or interested um, the sort of the breadth of the partners that got behind this and were really um, getting involved and um, the conversations that we had um, during the day were absolutely excellent so I'd like to thank the team for for the the great work they did um it was fantastic you know standing up in front of uh, an audience of over 700 people and uh, and talking about uh, things like uh, cybersecurity and big data um to such a uh, an intelligent and uh, very enthusiastic audience so great job to everybody that uh, made that work very appreciated yeah, it must have been a great conference because I'm looking at the web page and it's full of kanji and katakana, so I'm not going to read it, but it does have a picture of a knife IT shirt. So that's been great. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and actually, the, the team also produced the first uh, Apache Metron t-shirts as well to give away. Uh, but no pictures, <laughs> so it doesn't count. Uh, I, I'll upload pictures. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was a really, really good event. A lot of very, very good conversation. And it's... Uh, it was, uh, yeah, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Nice. And again, people, Dave did not invite me. No, no. Well, Jon doesn't like to travel outside the borders anymore. He gets a bit homesick. That's true. Out of the <laughs> Benelux, it's uh, get off my lawn time. <laughs> and with that, that's all the time you have for today. Unless Dave has something else to add. Nope, we're all good. Then we hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We will be back. We will be back even next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the @hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or feedback you may have. Until next time, my name is Jon, and my name is Dave, and we look forward to talking to you next week. 
Goodbye. See you then.